The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're turning our focus to the big picture of what God is doing behind the global headlines of power and politics today. As you know, times are changing rapidly and Christians do wisely to monitor developments across the Asian world in light of the challenge of missionary endeavor. And it's not for the faint-hearted. How do we connect China's expansionary moves through their Belt and Road Initiative with times and seasons for expansion of the kingdom of God? And what might it mean for Christians in the middle of the expansive developments around the world? There's no shortage of nations to talk about today and new opportunities rising for missionary activity and the growth of the Christian church. So today we're turning our attention to China and the East Asian nations from the east all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, you may have heard of the New Silk Roads or China's Belt and Road Initiative. Well, in today's conversation, we'll appreciate that things look different when we view things through a biblical Christian lens. There are huge developments and we may be able to see how God is directing the course of history ultimately for His glory. Our special guest today is Elizabeth Kendall. She's an international religious liberty analyst and advocate. She serves as Director of Advocacy at the Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom and is an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. Elizabeth Kendall, a special welcome back to 2020. And thanks for having me, Neil. Well, Elizabeth, there's lots of places to go with our conversation today. Let's get started by talking about how the days may be coming ahead of us when God is going to use the Chinese and the East Asian church for his glory from the east all the way back to Jerusalem. Big picture thoughts from you right now. Well, yes, I really love what you said there. Uh, in your introduction, I often see that we have to see these things. We have to look at what's happening in the world and instead of becoming maybe panic-driven by them so that we are reactionary with a sense of panic, sometimes we have to be able to look with the eyes uh, through, through the prism of what God has promised. So I'm very much in favour of looking at all political developments Uh, even the most nefarious ones, through this prism of the promises of God. And God has promised great things. Uh, During Easter, I did a four-week series with my prayer bulletin on the promises of God that are inherent within the servant songs of Isaiah. And, you know, they are, it's amazing. So when I look at what God, what is happening with the Belt Road Initiative, I can see, it's obvious to everyone, how nefarious this is, that the, the Chinese Communist Party is uh, seeking to re- re-establish the Silk Road and this Belt Road Initiative all around the world with a view to gradually creating a world that is dominated by China. 
uh, China will use this the Belt Road Initiative, the New Silk Road, to, to pump out Chinese products for sale and to draw in all the resources that China needs, food, water, uh, oil, gas, everything, will suck it all back in again. And meanwhile, China will be exercising soft power uh, leverage over countries and it will be pumping out not just not just items for sale but even probably Han Chinese people who will colonise uh, further and further out. But, you know, we can look at that and think, well, boy, this is really awful, but you know, what, what is down the pipeline. But we have a God who is a redeemer and he redeems things. He has made promises and he is a redeemer. And I believe God is going to use it all for his glory in good time. Elizabeth, I can't help but think of uh, the Roman world when Jesus was born in Bethlehem into what was under the control of the Romans. And uh, the idea that Jesus came at such a time as this, at a, in the fullness of time, some people will say, and the gospel had a ready-made road network throughout the Roman Empire of the day. And so when we talk about a day like this, here we are in the 21st century, and the development of what is a huge uh, travel transport network uh, all the way from China to uh, Europe. I mean, this is a powerful thing that's got a few similarities to that Roman network. Yes, well, I agree. I, just as, as you said, as Jesus came at a time when all roads led to Rome, I believe that the day is coming when all roads are going to lead to Beijing. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is the, you know, a herald for the Lord's return or anything like that. But I believe that the gospel will go out. It will be a time when it will be right for the gospel to go out from the east all the way back to Jerusalem uh, through the Muslim world. And, you know, this is the last frontier. This is the last really big frontier, the Central Asia, uh, Western China, Central Asia, the, the Middle East, the Muslim world, right up until very recently, uh, the Western Church sent about 1% of all missionaries into the Muslim world. Uh, it's been a grossly under-resourced, uh, uh, neglected area for, for two centuries. Now, that is changing. It's changing now, but largely, again, we're, we're reactionary. God is doing something, and we're seeing it, and we're going in, in response. To be honest, the Koreans and even some Chinese, but especially the Koreans, have been in Central Asia for quite some time. In fact, uh, for the whole time that I've been involved in religious freedom work, if there's been you know, a bomb go off in a Tajik church in Tajikistan, you can almost guarantee that the pastor will be a Pastor Kim or a Pastor Park. You know, <laughs> the Koreans are doing amazing work in Central Asia. And I believe the day is coming when that whole frontier, if you, if you can get, get, there are maps on the internet that show where the largest unreached um, populations of unreached people are in the world. And it's right there from, from Western China, right through Central Asia and the Middle East, back to Jerusalem. It's like the last frontier. And the day is coming 
when all roads will lead to Beijing and there'll be a new Silk Road and the Chinese church will be free and it will change the world. You know, it's even as long back as 25 years, I'm sure it must be now, when I first heard the expression, the 1040 window. And uh, I'm not sure whether you're across all of this, but uh, but there was a, a focus of mission organisations that in the 1040 window, uh, that was the least reached people on the face of the earth. And when we talk about the 1040 window, uh, that really is an illustration of where this whole network from China through to Europe, through to Jerusalem, actually is a, is a part of. Any thoughts there? Are you familiar with that terminology? Uh, yes, so that's the uh, that's that region between ten degrees north and forty degrees north of the equator, and it's it's uh, I think it's uh, like forty percent of the world's population lives in that ten forty window, and uh, it's a hugely unreached uh, region. And um, you know, in the last or oh, maybe fifty years, there's been increasing work has been done to uh, map the different ethnic groups, the different language groups. And over the, through the 1990s, but especially into the 21st century, there's been real work being done to meet uh, the language needs and the cultural needs and the humanitarian needs of all these people groups. So we've seen a, a shift in the way mission has focused from from the nations of the world, the church must go into the nations, to the peoples. And the church, like through around the turn of the century, has been focusing on peoples and languages and tribes. And one of the great unreached areas is that tribe through, is that region through uh, North India, and uh, Central Asia and Western China and uh, right through that area there. And, um, yeah, I really believe that when the day comes when the church in China is free, it will change the world. And I, I really believe that, you know, just as God allowed the Roman Empire to conquer the then known world, you know, all around the Mediterranean, See, uh, just as God allowed that to happen, He, I believe, He is going to allow. Uh, he is going to allow this to happen. He's going to allow this new Silk Road, especially, and the day will come when He will say, "Enough, it's finished." And one of my favourite uh, Bible passages in this regard is found in uh, found in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter thirty-one. So God is saying to, to Pharaoh, he says to Pharaoh, he's basically telling Pharaoh that his days are numbered, he's going to cut him down and bring him down to size. But, but God says, you will know Assyria. Assyria was a great empire. It grew like a cedar in Lebanon. It just grew to fill the earth and its people, it was so vast. And, he said, and then God says, but it became proud. And it became arrogant and it became cruel and, uh, and it became a law unto itself. And so I cut it down. I cut down that tall cedar and it crashed into the forest floor. And so it will be with you, Pharaoh. And, you know, I think that's interesting, even just in terms of where West, the West is today. But it's going to happen 
with regards to the Communist Party of China as well, because God will not stand for it. God will cut it down, and he will cut it down when the time is right and everything is in its place, and I think we will see a, a huge transformation in the world. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. A fascinating conversation if you're just joining us. We're talking about the expansion of China and what that might mean as the kingdom of God advances through mission. Our special guest this hour is Elizabeth Kendall, international religious liberty analyst and advocate. Elizabeth, just before we go any further, when we talk about this Belt and Road initiative, and there's all sorts of controversies going on with our own Australian state of Victoria, but Belt here refers to the overland routes that China will develop and road, in fact, refers to the sea routes. Now, that's all very confusing, but uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, it really does expand China's opportunities to trade with nations right throughout Central Asia and into Europe. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Belt and Road Initiative uh, in this sense of, of what it does for expansionary China? Well, I think it comes... I think there are sort of two avenues to look at. So one is... Uh, what is the purpose of the Belt and Road through the, for the Communist Party of China and what might God seek to do with it? And I think they are going, they are going in opposite directions. And uh, I think, you know, President Xi Jinping has one idea and I think God has another idea. And um, I think my bets are with God that he will uh, pull, pull his, his plan off and Xi Jinping might not quite get what he is thinking. So I think what, Chi what the Chinese Communist Party is doing is seeking to expand its influence into all the world. So it is very much looking for a day coming when China will literally rule the world so, or, or certainly control everything for its benefit. So th this has been a Chinese Communist Party policy right back in the days since the days of Chairman Mao. Now, Chairman Mao, in his fight for China in the in the civil war, he followed this pol this strategic policy that says you capture the rural areas in order to surround the cities, and that's how they won. That's how the communists won. As a minority force, they captured the rural areas and surrounded the cities, basically besieged the cities. But they have. The Chinese Communist Party does the same thing on a global level. And they started doing this back in Mao's day, back in the 1960s. And the idea is you go, to go out and capture the third world, right, the developing world. And then you end up encircling uh, the cities, the big cities of the world, New York, Melbourne, what have you. And uh, they, they've been working at, at uh, the extending, extending their influence through the third world since the 1960s. And Xi Jinping has ramped that up to a degree that is flabbergasting. So you might think, well, they're very busy in little countries like, you know, uh, the little Pacific Islands and everything. And these Pacific Islands, as they get all this access to Chinese money, they're switching 
their policies at the United Nations. They're they're throwing Taiwan under a bus. <laughs> they're throwing the the West Papuans under a bus because in in exchange for for Chinese money, they're having to, uh, you know, not support any separatists and things like that. But they're really giving up a lot of sovereignty. And it's very, very disconcerting. And the thing is, when they give up so much sovereignty and get themselves so indebted, they will have no, uh, no, uh, no leverage left when China wants to uh, take control of things, when China wants to you know, colonize, and, and uh, it's not going in a good place. But I think ultimately God will have the last say. But until then, uh, the church in China especially, it really needs our prayers because while, while the Chinese Communist Party is expanding these global aspirations, it has to conquer China first. Uh, we can see it doing this now. It's sinicizing religion. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, uh, the, the, it's getting rid of indigenous languages. It's, it's really ramping up the pressure inside China to the most unbearable levels not seen since the Cultural Revolution. So I believe that God is allowing this to happen, but we have to be praying for the church in China because they're going to be going through some of the darkest days since the Cultural Revolution of Chairman Mao. So when you say sinicizing the Christian church in China, when we're hearing these sorts of reports of uh, all of the heavy-handedness, the way that the government is trying to control, especially the underground churches, but also the official state church as well, uh, the uh, way that uh, there is surveillance mechanisms in place, the way that they're trying to uh, even change the wording in the Bible uh, to be a lot more communist-minded, which is an, an absolute uh, opposite to what <laughs> to what the, the Bible really is because uh, communists uh, and the socialists don't believe in God. Uh, so there's a, there's a major move there. And to say that the Chinese people need our prayers because they're coming under pressure, right now they're coming under increasing pressure all of the time to water down their faith. I wonder if you've got any insights about uh, Chinese passion and faith and wanting to maintain uh, the, uh, the integrity of God's word and wanting to have a, a, a spirit of mission. Any thoughts around that, Elizabeth? Uh, yes, I believe. The, it seems to me that the passion of the Chinese church is quite remarkable. So, um, and even, not even just to in terms of surviving the persecution. So we have a church that understands persecution. We have a church that knows if it wants to be faithful to the word of God, it will be persecuted. We have a church that is uh, understanding of the need for prayer. Um, it, it's, and the passion is really very great. Uh, I, uh, my fear for the Western church is that if persecution came upon us, we would actually wilt very quickly. But in the church in China, we seem to have growing there a very hardy plant. And it, the passion is very strong. In terms of the, uh, what we were talking about before, taking the gospel back through Western China, through Central Asia and the Middle East, back to Jerusalem, there is um, an increasingly calls from the Chinese church 
uh, around the world, but even from inside China, are pleading for help and information to train them to do this thing that they believe God has called them to do and is preparing them to do, and that is to uh, evangelize the Muslim world all the way back to Jerusalem. So they believe that that is God's calling upon the Chinese church and they are preparing for it this day in uh, churches that are increasingly coming under attack. And, you know, I believe with na it is the same with nations as it is with individuals. An individual who is not doing anything for the Lord does not have to anticipate great spiritual conflict in their life. They can be fairly comfortable. But as soon as that individual starts really being a follower of Jesus and impacting their neighborhood and growing in grace, then they should expect spiritual resistance. Satan will not take it lying down. And it's the same with nations. And you see, whenever I see incredible opposition, you know, from the principalities and powers, incredible spiritual warfare being directed against like a national church uh, in a country like China, then you know that the devil knows that the stakes are really, really high. And this is happening. And the Chinese church, I think, is, uh, as far as we know, is, is, is just incredible. It is standing strong. It knows it will be persecuted and it is... Um, it is passionate about this. It's passionate about fulfilling its calling as missionaries, particularly to the Muslim world. Okay, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Anne in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Thanks for waiting patiently. Oh, it's lovely to hear from you again in your program I'm very interested in. Um, I want to just throw a little thing and swing away from that. I'm very interested in what you say about China, but... I'm also concerned about... Anne. Um, Anne, you're breaking up a little bit there. Just to repeat that again because uh, I don't know that listeners North will have heard. Um, North Korea. I'm just swinging a bit away from um, from the issue in China. I know it's very interesting what's happening about that as well, but I'm wondering whether this, is North Korea is going to be part of this as well. Uh, North Korea in a mix. Uh, you did mention South Korea and the uh, missionary expansion out of there, Elizabeth. Any thoughts here for Anne and her thoughts on North Korea and if there's uh, some sort of place in there in that what they call a hermit kingdom? Oh, look, this is one of my favourite topics and I could talk for ages. It's one of these situations where um, there is nothing to see, right? But I actually believe that God is going to answer the prayers of millions of Koreans, Korean-Americans, Chinese-Koreans, Korean-Christians, Chinese-Christians, Christians all around the world who have been praying for North Korea since the day it came under uh, communist rule. Um, I believe God is going to answer those prayers. You know, the great, Pyong, the great revival of, of Korea, the, uh, the Korean Pentecost, uh, took place in, in Pyongyang. Pyongyang was the birthplace of the Korean revival that really saw the gospel which had already taken root in Korea, but sure saw it spread and grow. And it's one of the great tragedies and traumas that 
that the Korean church came under so, so much suffering so quickly, first from the Japanese and then from, then from the communists. But I don't doubt for a minute that God is going to answer the prayers of many and that the day will come when North Korea will be free and that there will be a turning to Christ in North Korea like, beyond, like something we can barely imagine. And the, ground, the ground is being prepared. The stage is set. I have incredible faith that this is going to happen. And I believe the day will come when the Korean church, meaning North and South Korea, as maybe even if it's not united, as, as a federated Korean state, uh, will be sending missionaries out all across uh, all the West is a very exciting day to be alive. Thank you so much to Anne. As we've been talking about China, Elizabeth, let's talk about some of these Central Asian states, uh, some of these ones that are not reached powerfully with the gospel. One of those is the nation of Uzbekistan. And there's been developments in Uzbekistan around the issue of religious freedom. I wonder if you've got any insights here into just the way things may be changing under the Chinese influence? Well, Uzbekistan was, of course, part of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So it was under the so part of the Soviet Union. It was uh, under communist rule, and the Soviets, you know, propped up their own uh, communist leaders in these countries. Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan. So Uzbekistan's in there. It's... it's um, uh, got a large population. It it is a very influential country in Central Asia. Now, while Gorbachev changed things in Russia, in a way with his openness, and that led to the breakup of the Soviet Union. A lot of these post-Soviet states in Central Asia retained a a very Soviet-style uh, a Soviet-style governance. Their uh, communist parties stayed, you know, very powerful. Uh, Soviet-era leaders stayed in power for a long time, unlike in Russia where there was a change, a complete change. But in Uzbekistan, uh, Islam Karimov became... He was the Soviet Union's uh, leader in Uzbekistan, so he was the president of the the Soviet Republic of Uzbekistan. And when the Soviet Union broke up, he remained as the president. He was then elected as the president. And uh, he, he continued to run Uzbekistan in the, in the same pattern of a Soviet-style police state. So this is a country that uh, has a large uh, Muslim population. Now, a lot of the, the uh, non-Uzbeks fled the country after the breakup of the Soviet Union. A lot of Russians went back to Russia to, to get out of Uzbekistan. But it retained this sort of this Soviet-style police state oppression over the people. Uh, Islam had come flooding in. And uh, so, the, so President Islam Karimov really had to crack down, or he did crack down really hard to try and keep uh, Islam under control somewhat because you have the rise of some really radical Islamic movements. So when people, when Uzbek leaders say we have problems with Islam, they really do. They really, really do. Now, when Islam Karimov died in 1916, 
the man who had been the Prime Minister under Islam Karimov, uh, Sabkat Mirziyoyev, uh, he was elected uh, by the Parliament to be the President of Uzbekistan and has since been elected as the President of, of Uzbekistan. Now, everyone expected that he would be Karimov Mark II, that it would just be all the same. But it hasn't been. He's been biding his time, stepping very carefully, and he is increasing the pace and he is moving Uzbekistan in the direction of radical reform, political reform and economic reform. He is opening up the country economically. He wants to trade with not just the Eurasian uh, union there around him. He wants to trade with America. He wants to trade with Europe, especially Europe, because he's connected through the New Silk Road with Europe. And to do that, he has to address human rights. He has to address corruption and religious freedom and all these issues, and he is doing it. So it's actually really, really exciting. So you've got a state here that was so oppressed under the Soviet regime, and uh, I think you meant to say 2016. Uh, so he's come to power since 2016. He's been biding his time, but now in the recognition that he needs to open up all of these trade routes, uh, especially coming from China and going through uh, to Europe, uh, the need for all of these reforms, if he's going to capitalise on the huge amount of uh, money, uh, the huge prosperity that will come to Uzbekistan if they get things a little better. And so re repressive religious laws, uh, these are under review. And is this something that if they do change in a nation like Uzbekistan, there could be all sorts of change that could have a domino effect in all sorts of other Islamic nations around it? Absolutely, and that's what's so important about Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan has always been a Silk Road hub, uh, sitting there in between East and West. Um, it, it, it's been a key centre uh, in, in, on the Silk Road. So if Uzbekistan changes, if, if, if Uzbekistan really does transform... I believe, yeah, it'll be like uh, it'll be like the pebble in the pond, you know, and you'll see ripples going out into the Caucasus and into the other stands around it because they'll be saying, "Hey, we can we can be Muslim, we can have a majority Muslim country, and yet at the same time we can have freedom, we can have human rights, we can have justice, justice in our law courts and everything." So. It will speak very loudly to other people in other countries around about uh, that Uzbekistan will be showing the way forward okay. if he can do it, if he can pull it off. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Graham in Burnie, Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Welcome. Oh, look, uh, China is flexing its muscles. Russia is flexing its muscles. Iran is flexing their muscles. These people, the rest of the world, is not happy and they're pushing back. The fact is, Revelation 13 says, and the, head, the, the, uh, the wound was healed. That is the Holy Roman Empire and the beast power behind it. Here we have a power that's going to rule the world as, as it was from Rome 
those times, it's a renewing of it. And we have a, a, a so-called Christian person at that time, that false prophet, who's going to deceive the world. And the world is going to have to abide by them because God, the God of this world has given the power to these men. And the rest of the world is going to have to dance to their tune. Daniel tells you in 11.36 right through to the end of that, about the king of the south pushing at the king of the north. And the king of the north comes down, Libya, Egypt, Ethiopia, uh, put down, and he goes into uh, Israel and... Graham, there's tremendous insight that can come from an assessment of biblical prophecy and fulfilment in what may be the end times. Uh, What we're absolutely sure here is, though, that uh, the powers around the world are manoeuvring right now. There are changes to global order. You've got China's expansion creating a huge challenge for the existing power structures. The US is significantly threatened by the rise of China. Uh, But there are all of these other nations in there as well, like Russia. Uh, Elizabeth Kendall, any thoughts for Graham? Well, my thought, I think, primarily is that we see all these things happening. And I think, for me, it's about hope. You see, a lot of Christians become very panic-stricken. They see doom and they see gloom. and, And I think, but if we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can keep that that prism of the promises of God before us and view things through the prism, it doesn't mean everything becomes rosy in the short term, but it means that we know how the story is going to end and God is going to fulfill his promises. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be prepared to suffer and we're going to have to be committed to praying for the persecuted church And God will redeem all things for his glory as he fulfills his promises uh, in the long term. Graham from Bernie in Tasmania, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today. Elizabeth, let me take you back to something you said a little earlier. The idea of a free Chinese church. And we came to the idea that the Chinese church right now seems to be under a greater oppression than ever. And uh, they've become accustomed to this idea that life is hard as a Christian believer uh, when you go against what is a communist state. There is oppression. But when you said free Chinese church, uh, give us some insights here into how you see that freedom uh, interacting with the expansion of the Chinese regime and the Silk Roads that go through Central Asia. Uh, what are your thoughts here for Free Chinese Church? Look, I think I just am envisaging a day when the Chinese Communist Party will no longer dominate China. It'll be a, more like Russia. It'll be a little party within the parliament. And, and I, you know, for me personally, the, the issue is not even whether China is a one-party state or not, I think God is going to bring freedom to the church in China so that the so Communist Party rule, Communist Party oppression will end. Uh, I think the day is going to come when it will end. It will be like that cedar that God fells and brings down to earth. God will say, enough, it's over, this far and no more. And he'll do that exactly at the right time. And at that point, 
freedom will come to China. And uh, no matter what form of governance they adopt, the church will have freedom, freedom to preach the gospel, freedom to send out missionaries uh, along the Silk Road, along the Silk Road, all through Central Asia, where some of the most unreached peoples are living to this day. Uh, unreached Muslim groups are living to this day. God is preparing the Chinese church for that day. When that day comes, they'll be ready. And we're going to see Chinese and Asian missionaries in Central Asia. Um, and uh, I, I think this is we could see this in our lifetime. I'm, I, I don't doubt it. Elizabeth, a quick thought or two, and uh, this takes us on a little bit of a diversion, but Australia is in this mix as well because... Uh, in the state of Victoria, you've got Premier Dan Andrews, who has signed a memorandum of understanding between the state of Victoria and uh, China. Any thoughts there on... And, and of course, there's a, a big resistance to this idea that uh, you might be supporting uh, the movements of a totalitarian communist regime. What are your thoughts for the connection there between China and Melbourne? Uh, my personal thought is just that it's absolute folly <laughs> that it, that uh, Daniel Andrews has got uh, sucked into the idea that if he signs up to this Belt Road Initiative, there will be uh, an endless amount of money that he will have access to, that he'll be able to bolster his own political position and political power through an endless stream of money. But actually what he will be doing is uh, reducing um, our sovereignty uh, in Victoria, and it'll be troubling for Australia as a whole. You know, Australia has freedom. We have a lot of Chinese people in Australia, and in in many on many university campuses. Yes, there is trouble with Chinese students being very hyper nationalistic, but there is also the fact that uh, large numbers of evangelicals, Chinese evangelicals. Um, are really active on our campuses as well. There, I read a report uh, not all that long ago. It was, to do, it was an American report saying you go onto the university campuses in America, you go to a Christian group, an evangelical Christian group, 80% of them will be Chinese. <laughs> you know, the Chinese, the Chinese church in Australia already is doing some amazing things, doing amazing witness, and uh, we are actually greatly blessed by the presence of the Chinese church already here in Australia. We don't need the Belt Road Initiative of the Chinese Communist Party to be blessed by the Chinese church. Of course, uh, the money that is ploughed from China, we're talking trillions of dollars and uh, oftentimes into ports and railroad systems around the world, but also uh, into the educational centres, so the Confucius centres. So in our universities, uh, this sort of stronghold that takes a hold here, uh, what are your thoughts for, uh, for whether that might be a threat uh, or whether it's something that, uh, you know, that may actually be a part of uh, what we could see as even the possibilities of good things coming uh, if those Chinese students uh, then uh, caught a missionary passion? What are your thoughts here? Well, a lot of what China, the China, we have to see, you have to separate the Chinese Communist Party from the Chinese people. It's like when you're talking about Islam and you have to separate the ideology from Muslim people. Muslim people are human beings and some are radicals 
and some are the most hospitable people with really often a very Christian worldview. So you have to separate the ideology from the people. And the Chinese Communist Party, uh, it has, I would say, nefarious plans when it comes to Australia. Now, in America, Donald Trump has just deemed the Confucius Institutes as foreign agents. And, and I'm not sure if we've done that or not, but I think we need to because they are. And we don't need this. We just absolutely don't need it. We have plenty of opportunities to engage and to have interaction with Chinese people here in Australia and to be a blessing to each other. Uh, we just don't, we don't need it. I was speaking uh, a couple of years ago up at Belgrave Heights. I did Belgrave Heights Convention. I think it was an Easter convention. And I gave a seminar on the persecution and the, and the church in China. I spoke about a lot of the things we've been talking about today. Now, at the end of that, at the end of that session, a lady came across to me who hadn't been in my session. She'd only heard the very end of it. She'd been in, in another seminar because, and she came over and she said, I didn't come to yours because I know all about the church in China. She said, I've been studying at the University of the Third Age and I've been studying religion in China. So I've studied all this and I know how much religious freedom there is in China and how generous the Chinese government is to the, to the Chinese church and how they built their churches and how it's all growing. And I said, look, I think you might have got a pretty good dose of Chinese Communist Party propaganda. And we had a bit of a talk and I quickly went through my PowerPoint slides with her and showed her the images of, you know, of uh, Gao Zhang and, and others, you know, who have been Christians who have been tortured and so terribly mistreated by the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, so, yeah, there's a a huge amount of propaganda going on and we see this also it's from it's it's purchased influence so in the same way that gulf states fund uh, islamic chairs in our universities so that they can pump out islamic propaganda we get these confucius institutes connected to the chinese communist party pumping out propaganda chinese propaganda uh, into the to people who are unsuspecting it's very, very subtle, and um, I'm, I think we're waking up to it. I think the, uh, the Morrison government, especially through the influence of people like um, uh, 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 Minister of Parliament uh, Hasty uh, and others, are really wising up to this and clamping down on it. So there is a sense here, Elizabeth, that politically speaking we might be resistant uh, to the Belt and Road Initiative taking a hold here in Australia because, as you say, it's propaganda, it's uh, it's a soft uh, way of, of being able to influence our own politics here and especially if we were to take on uh, increasing debt to China. But we're running out of time and just a few minutes remaining. I wonder, because I do love to always get your insights when we have a conversation like this, about how the Christian believer ought to pray. And now, we've talked about China and expansion of the Silk Roads, the Belt and Road Initiative, going from China across Central Asia to Europe. We did say to Jerusalem. And uh, you've got then nations that we did speak about, like Uzbekistan. I wonder how you might say uh, Christian believers ought to pray in a, a circumstance like this if you appreciate God is doing significant things here in a big picture. 
Well, a lot of people, a lot of Christians will pray for the persecuted church because they have a, a humanitarian, you know, a, a love for human beings and they don't like to see are people being persecuted. They want their lives to be better. They want them to have freedom. And that's great. But we can have we can have a vision even bigger than that. If we will grasp the promises of God and what God is has God is promising to do and how the cross has actually changed the trajectory of the world, then we can pray for bigger things than that. And we can pray for, for the Chinese church to be sustained for the day when freedom comes, that God will be preparing the church for the day when freedom comes. In Uzbekistan, we should be praying for President Mirza Yoyev because God may be using him as like a, like, like a, a modern-day Cyrus to actually open up uh, Central Asia for, for, for freedom freedom to to worship uh, in Central Asia. Can you just picture it? Um, you know, if we would just pray uh, in, in view of the promises of God, the power of God, the victory of the cross. Now, Uzbekistan is in the process now of reviewing its religion law, a law that was written in the Soviet era, and he is reviewing it. The first draft was very disappointing but it's not finished yet. So please go onto my website and get the prayer points there for Uzbekistan because I believe that changes in Uzbekistan could be very, very significant for the whole Central Asian region. So we can pray for these things, not only for the church that is suffering, but for a nation, for, a, for God to be at work in the nation and the region for his glory. Well, powerful insights as always, Elizabeth Kendall. Let me point people to your website, elizabethkendall.com. That's elizabethkendall, K-E-N-D-A-L.com. And look for those prayer points around Uzbekistan. Look for coming articles that there might be around this idea of the Silk Roads, the Belt and Road Initiative, and what God might be doing through Central Asia, uh, all the way through to Europe, all the way through to Jerusalem. Elizabeth Kendall is an international religious liberty analyst and advocate. She serves as Director of Advocacy at Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom. And she's an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. There's a couple of books that I always like to point people to. Elizabeth has written Turn Back the Battle. Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, offering a biblical response to persecution and existential threat. And then there's another book, Elizabeth's second book, After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. And you'd be able to access those certainly online or go through elizabethkendall.com. Elizabeth, uh, always great getting this update from you. Thanks so much for giving us these details today here on 2020. And thanks for having me, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 